Welcome to the April 2019 episode of The Voice of Oregon Workers, a monthly podcast from the Oregon AFL-CIO. I'm Oregon AFL-CIO President Tom Chamberlain, and on this month's episode, we'll discuss one of the most controversial topics in our state, PERS. It's a subject that can be confusing and divisive. We'll break down how to understand the issue better and also how to move our state forward. You can find links on our website in the description of this episode so you can continue to educate yourself and take action for public employees' retirement. Enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our April 2019 episode of The Voice of Oregon's Workers, the Oregon AFL-CIO's monthly podcast. I'm your host, Graham Trainer, and I proudly serve as the Chief of Staff of the Oregon AFL-CIO, the Statewide Federation of Labor Unions, and we're excited to be here with a very special guest this month, Oregon AFL-CIO President Tom Chamberlain, to talk about a vitally important issue to working people, retirement security and the Oregon public employee retirement system in particular. As I'm sure our listeners are aware, PERS and public employee wages and benefits have been used as a scapegoat for our state's budget challenges for decades, despite it being one of the healthiest public employee pension systems in the country. The Oregon Union Movement has been on the front lines of defending and expanding retirement security for all workers in the private and the public sector for decades for many reasons. But the basic belief is that if you work hard and you put in a career serving the public, or generating wealth for a company, that you should be able to retire with dignity through a guaranteed retirement benefit. Unfortunately, the finance sector and Wall Street executives have been working to erode retirement security for millions of workers for decades as well. Recent Bureau of Labor statistics statistics show that only 28% of all workers even have access to a defined benefit pension plan compared to that being the norm for workers in the not-too-distant past. If you break that down by sector, only 18% of private sector workers have access to a defined benefit plan, while 86% of public sector workers have access to a defined benefit plan. Now, you might ask, why is that the case? Well, it's not too hard to see that the corporate agenda, the finance sector, and billionaires have been subtly working for years to erode the hard-fought retirement security gains workers have won. With the decline in union density in the United States from a high of nearly 35% in the mid-1950s to about 11% today, wages, benefits, and working conditions have also stagnated and declined. In the private sector, union density has fallen to less than 7%, while public sector union density across the country remains around 35%, with Oregon statistics much higher. As private sector pensions have been attacked, eroded, and eliminated in many parts of the American economy, the attention of the Wall Street billionaires has turned to undermining public sector pensions. At this very moment, despite having one of the healthiest public employee pension systems in the country, Governor Brown and the business community have introduced yet another attack on PERS in Oregon. Luckily, in Oregon, we have some incredible experts on the PERS system, the history of previous reforms, and how the Oregon Union movement can defend the hard-earned retirement benefits of our nurses, teachers, firefighters, local and state government workers, and all public employees. And one of those experts is our very own Tom Chamberlain. Welcome, Tom. Hi. Glad to be here. Thanks, Graham. 
You bet. Well, Tom, you've, you've spent your entire career on the front lines of the fight for workers' rights, and much of that time actively defending PERS benefits for public employees. Can you share with listeners some of that history you've had defending workers' retirement security and some anecdotes maybe of some of that, some of that uh, history along the way? Well, first of all, most folks think because I'm a firefighter, I'm a PERS recipient, and I am not. I'm a member of the Portland Fire Police Disability and Retirement Fund, which is a separate fund outside of PERS. And um, my career uh, from 1977 to 2004, when I retired from the fire service, was um, working on uh, collective bargaining issues and pension issues for firefighters. We had major reform in our city, the city of Portland, in 1989 uh, to address some of the problems that we have with the Portland Fire and Police Disability Fund. Um, I became familiar with PERS issues when I went to work for the governor in 2005. At that time, it was right after the um, 2003 reforms, which um, made some significant changes to PERS, uh, and I have been involved with every battle we have had in the Oregon legislature in an effort to reduce pension benefits for uh, active and retirees. Great. So, um, you know, first of all, I think it's important for listeners to understand who we're talking about when we're talking about PERS. I know I rattled off some public employees a second ago, but, but who are we really talking about when, when the topic of PERS and the folks that benefit from the system, uh, who, who are we talking about? You're talking about cafeteria workers. You're talking about higher ed pro uh, professors and K-12 through teachers and janitors and uh, any uh, correction officers and doctors and dental hygienists, anyone who works for state or local government today is a member of PERS. So there are 175 uh, active participants in PERS today. So it's, it's a big group of folks. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, this unfair debate about further PERS reforms, uh, in air quotes, I'll, I'll, my, uh, I'll, I'll emphasize, or benefit c- uh, cuts this legislative session, you know, they really seem all too familiar. The, the legislature has really tackled this problem on several occasions in the past. You mentioned some of those reform, reforms a bit ago. Um, what do these past reforms uh, mean for a public worker today? I know the, 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 the outlook for a, for a public worker going into public service for a career is much different than it was years ago. So uh, maybe tell us a little bit about what those past reforms mean for someone today entering public service. That's a really complex uh, question. Um, if you worked for the state or for local governments uh, during the recession, periods of um, shortfalls in budgets, oftentimes you see public employees taking um, days off, furloughs. We saw that commonplace throughout the Great Recession of 2008 through about 2012. You s- historically, you have seen them um, go without wage increases. Furloughs actually was a wage decrease. Um, and you have seen them do things such as back in the late 80s, early 90s, when um, employers wanted to reduce their uh, total compensation costs, uh, they proposed that they pick up the 6% that uh, workers were paying into their pension system. And why did employers do that? It saved them money. They didn't have to pay the roll-up costs on a wage increase. So this this whole discussion over uh, having uh, public employees have skin in the game they are always have skin in the game. They have sacrificed for this state. They have done creative things to reduce their costs. Um, the PERS system is the 11th best 
funded system in the United States. Let me repeat that. The 11th best funded system in the United States. And they're funded about 82%. Um, and what does that mean? Well, the goal is to get them to 100%, which means that if everyone in the PERS system, all 175 workers decided tomorrow that they were going to retire and suddenly they had the minimum years to retire with, you'd have the money in the bank to pay for those benefits. The reality is that's not going to happen. A good funded system is funded at 80 to 90 percent. Um, back in 2008, before the recession, we were funded at, two th at 110 percent. Um, so we're in a down cycle. Uh, I'm sure you're going to ask me, how did we get here? We, there's a lot of reasons why we got here. Uh, one reason is you had a, a, a retirement uh, option called Money Match, which allows your total 6% to go into um, an account and you pay, played the stock market. And when you retired, um, the state would match that money. The, a big piece of the unfunded liability is directly tied to that. Um, Governor Kitts, uh, Kulingowski's uh, 2003 reforms got rid of the money match for all existing employees. Um, and that's why you saw us in 2008, because of those refor reforms that were implemented in 2003, um, by 2008, we were funded at 110%. What we are, we're in a down cycle. Um, things have contributed to uh, the problems with money match, such as um, the assumed return on investment, I believe, was around 8%. The PERS board reduced that to 7.5 or 7.25. That sounds great, but what that means is it adds to the unfunded liability. Um, so uh, a lot of things go into it. Some of it's our own making. But the bottom line here is that what you have are um, legacy costs. The, the unfunded liability is primarily on Tier 1 and Tier 2. If you took out those legacy costs, you would find that our pension system for Tier 3 folks is one of the lowest in the country. Uh, here at the AFL-CIO, we pay 15% of, of payroll um, for pensions. And I think the states are around 13 to 14% just on Tier 3. Mm -hmm. So they're already at a... a, 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 a uh, very manageable um, funding for those employees. Yeah, that's uh, really helpful. And it seems like, you know, there's always a lot of talk about the, the high-paid U of O football coaches, the Mike Bellotti examples, or doctors at OHSU as some of the things that are, uh, some of the reasons that are uh, the, the problems with PERS. But what's the reality for the average PERS retiree these days? The average PERS retiree is $29,500 a year, or about 44% of final average salary. Yeah, exactly. So again, just to reiterate that point, um, the Mike Bellotti examples and the OHSU uh, doctor examples are anomalies. The reality for an average PERS retiree is $29,500 in right. annual benefit. That's right. Yeah, okay. Um, so, so why does this issue seem to continue to come up as a so-called solution anytime our state faces budget challenge, no matter who's in control of the legislature and the governor's office? Well, I think you, in your opening, you captured it very well. Um, this is being driven by the Oregonian. It's been, which is um, always on the side of the business community and, and business. Business is looking for corporations, the rich, the powerful. They're always looking for excuses not to pay their fair share. 
And what they like to do is put a bullseye on public employees and scapegoat them. And what they're saying today is, hey, we're not going to pay one dime more in taxes unless you get this pension under control. Understand, we have one of the lowest corporate rates in the nation, and corporations are scapegoating public employees in order not to pay their fair share. That's just not right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And to put this retirement security conversation into context, um, you know, we talked a little bit about it in the opening, but I, I'd be curious about your thoughts about, you know, what's really going on out there in the economy? Why are defined be- benefit pension plans, you know, typically a stable and reliable source of retirement security? Why do they become relatively rare for most workers in this country? Well, back in the early 90s, late 80s, federal government implemented a program called Defined, defined uh, uh, Contribution Plans, 401ks, or also called Deferred Comps. What Deferred Comps does is um, puts all the responsibility for retirement on the back of the workers because that money is invested in the stock market. They're a really glorified savings account versus a defined benefit plan. I retired as a firefighter with a defined benefit plan. There was a factor um, times the number of years worked, and you knew exactly what you were going to get. So the responsibility was on the back of the employer, as it should be. You have a promise when you take on a job that you're going to receive this pension benefit when you retire. So, number one, um, the cost of a defined contribution plan, that glorified deferred comp or 401k plan, is all on the back of the worker. And and the employer actually reduced their comp, their contribution to those plans. Uh, where once they were paying 10, 15, 16% into a defined benefit plan, today some plans are as low as 3% and only if the employee matches that. There is no way someone's going to retire on a defined contribution plan that, that's funded with 3 or 6%. And what you're creating in this country by moving to a defined uh, contribution plan is a, a crisis in waiting. People are not going to be able to retire and maintain their livelihoods. It is not a secure retirement. More and more folks are relying on uh, Social Security as their primary primary retirement benefit, and it was never designed to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it's clear. I mean, just kind of back to your point about who bears the responsibility. Uh, you know, historically, the employer made a promise with their workers and uh, bared the responsibility in retirement. Uh, through the defined, uh, the, the defined benefit plans, and the minute that employers had an opportunity to shift that responsibility, shift that burden to workers, um, that trend of 401ks or defined contributions right. took, took root. So, so now I'm going to pivot a little bit to some of the things that have happened just over the last few months uh, right here in Oregon. So uh, recently a few ballot initiatives were filed by Tim Nesbitt and Governor Kulingoski, uh, former Governor Kulingoski, aimed at attacking FERS benefits and Tom, I know you wrote an article recently in the Northwest Labor Press, so if you haven't read that, uh, feel free for listeners to go there to the Northwest Labor Press, Press website to find that article. Um, you re- wrote that article about these measures not too long ago, but, but what's going on here? How can a former public sector labor leader now be working against public employees that he previously represented? That's a good question. Um, I really um, i am lost to find an answer for that. I do know that... Um, Mr. Nesbitt is an employee of the Oregon Business Council. He, uh, of course, he's a past chief of staff to Governor Kulinkowski. And he's always 
um, saw this as an issue, and he's always believed that it's going to disrupt the general fund. Well, um, when we have a debt and we refuse to treat a debt like a debt, in other words, uh, find resources to pay down that debt, no matter what it is, it's going to be a threat to the general fund. What he misses is he sees the IAP account, because I don't want to get too technical here, but it's important to understand this. When pensions were reduced in 2003, uh, their accrual factor was 1.67 times years worked. In other words, if, if, uh, if I was a firefighter, a PERS firefighter, and I had 30 years in, I knew that my retirement benefit would be 50% of what my salary was, 30, 30 years times 1.67. Under Tier 3, they reduced that to 1.5, and they required that PERS retirees, Tier 3, pay into a defined contribution-like benefit, the IAP, and what that would do, they assumed some of the risk. They maintained a defined contribution plan. But that was an effort to get you to 50%, right, between those two plans. What Mr. Nesbitt um, is trying to do is separate them as if they're not part of the total pension reform of 2003. That is smoke and mirrors. It is truly part of the reform of 2003. Got it. So speaking of these ballot measures and some of the specifics that Tim Nesbitt is, tr is trying to do, um, I'm hoping maybe you could tell listeners a little bit just about the highlights or lowlights, I guess, uh, about the ballot initiatives and what they're really aiming to do beyond just the point that you made. Well, it's it's a little confusing um, because at, if you read both ballot measures, I think the bottom line is that they want to move PERS and retirees, just not just new hires, but folks who are working the time that they accrue from whenever that ballot measure is passed, um, till they retire, uh, and move them into a 401k, that deferred uh, compensation plan I was telling you about, where the employee assumes all the risk, and it would be funded at 6%. There is, that is a, that's a formula for disaster for the state, because I believe what you're going to find is that when you underfund pension benefits for public employees, a couple of things happen. Number one, it's going to be harder and harder to attract good, qualified people into public sector jobs. Two, down the road, I think you're going to find more and more public sector retirees re relying on the social safety net to get by because they're not going to have the resources to fund, to fund homes, food, clothing, um, things associated with uh, older folks, uh, increased medical costs, and the like. So it, I believe it's an ill-conceived notion, and it truly is smoke and mirrors because it does nothing, nothing to pay down the unfunded liability of PERS. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And one of the things that's also really important for listeners to understand is that um, that these ballot measures and these ideas, these concepts of cutting public employee retirement benefits are widely unpopular by voters. A majority of voters in Oregon oppose further cutting retirement benefits for public employees to address that unfunded liability we just talked about. So, you know, can, um, can I, can yeah, I jump, yeah. jump in here just for a little bit? If, if you look at, there was a, a poll done recently about, about pension benefits of the general public. Do you think pension benefits are too high or too little? Um, 40% when you explain to them what public employees receive in pension benefits, uh, especially Tier 3, they think it's too little. 35% say it's about right. 
So the vast majority of Oregon Oregonians are not in favor of any type of pension reform. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. A really good point. So oddly enough, uh, within about a week of these initiatives being filed, Governor Brown uh, also introduced her proposal to address the PERS challenges, taking away benefits and reducing pay for public employees. Can, can you share with listeners a few of the details of, of her proposal? So Governor Brown wants to impose a tax on public employees. If you're in Tier 1 or Tier 2, you would pay a 3% tax to pay down the unfunded liability. If you're Tier 3 who already have a lower benefit and it requires a longer length of service to be eligible to retire, in other words, these folks get less and they work longer, uh, it would be a 1.5% tax. Um, this is just not appropriate. It We need to be looking at different ways to address the unfunded liabilities, such as increasing the amount of time to fund the system. Uh, Oregon has one of the, uh, when you, it's called an actuarial assumption. Uh, things you consider when you're de- determining the unfunded liability, one's rate of return on investment, two's contributions, and three is the amount of time you want, you need to get to fully funding. In Oregon, I believe it's either 24 or 25 years. Most states are at 30. Moving, moving us from 25 to 30 years would address a big piece of the system. The other thing is if we treat this as uh, debt, then you can start looking at different ways to fund it. You could capture um, um, ending fund balances from various uh, bureaus and departments within the state. You could look at surplus uh, property that you're not going to um, be using in the future and sell them to help pay off the debt. Um, And dare say you could look at the business community and say, hey, you need to pay a head tax. You need to get involved in this. You need to get some skin in the game. Mm -hmm. Amen. And in general, you know, working people in our union movement were overwhelmingly successful on election night of 2018 after candidates, including the governor herself, promised that they all would not attack public employee benefits. So What's going on now, and why does it seem like these elected leaders have forgotten those promises that they just made a few months ago? First of all, the worst thing we have uh, in the labor movement is when we work really hard on a campaign, go full out like we did in the governor's race, full out to get supermajorities in the House and the Senate, and we did the lion's share of lifting, and not just the AFL, but organizing organized labor as a whole. Um, but to have candidates, have the governor um, get in line to reduce benefits within months of that election is a slap in the face to every worker, not just public work employees, but every worker in the state when politicians go back on their promises. I remember a, um, a clip out of the debate about Kate Brown defending firefighters' pensions um, it was a very proud moment for me. Uh, right now, I'm, a li- I'm very disappointed in the governor and what she's brought forward. So um, so legislators and the governor continue to say, you know, you mentioned uh, revenue and sort of corporate taxation and, as one of the really key things for the state to be looking at. It. Obviously, there are conversations happening in Salem tonight even uh, that are very uh, relevant to the revenue side of the equation. Uh, but but, but a lot of these legislators and the governor say that we can't solve our revenue problem without also addressing the PERS problem. What would you say to that? I'd say that's a false choice, and it's a choice that's been set up by the business community. 
Um, you know, we need to decouple the PERS issue from pen, from for public employee benefits. They're two different things. Um, we are playing right into the corp corporate agenda in Oregon, um, and uh, public uh, public officials need to look past that. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it seems like I mean, kind of bumping it out a bit. It seems like this is just a, such an age-old tactic by corporations: distract from the real problem, and then scapegoat workers to solve the problem. So. How, how can the state actually fix some of our budget challenges? I guess you alluded to a few of the ideas around PERS um, and how the, the, some of the solutions that might be proposed, but any other ideas or thoughts there? Well, I, I, think, I think you're right. I mean, what we have to do is look at the revenue, at revenue as revenue, understanding that corporate Oregon is not paying their fair share and they haven't paid their fair share in decades. Uh, can remember this. Before the last uh, legislative session, uh, we had a tax on the ballot, and one of one of the arguments that uh, business business Oregon used to defeat that was that they would come to the table the very next session and talk about revenue and fix it. Guess what? They didn't show up, and the only reason they're showing up this time is because there's been pressure put against them, and they're trying to get a pound of flesh out of public employees. Number two. We have to, as I've said over and over and over again in this interview, you have to decouple the PERS unfunded liability from PERS benefits. They're not the same thing. The folks, the lion's share of that unfunded liability are on people who are already retired. And to expect Tier 3 members to get less and less and less in the form of benefits is crazy, it's short-sighted, and will have dangerous ramifications to this state. Great. Here, here. So um, so if listeners uh, wanted to learn more, I just wanted to share a quick website that's also uh, really helpful. Uh, the www.keeporegonspromise.org is the coalition website to go to. Again, www.keeporegonspromise.org. Um, and another way to immediately fight back against these attacks on our retirement security is literally to contact Governor Brown and your local legislator today. And the three things that we need you to say are salaries could be cut by this proposal, the individual account program funds could be decimated, and pensions could be eliminated for new hires. Again, salaries could be cut by this proposal, individual account program funds could be decimated, and pensions could be eliminated for new hires. And with those three points in mind, you can go to keeporgonspromise.org backslash email dash your dash lawmaker. Again, keeporgonspromise.org backslash email dash your dash lawmaker for a handy little tool. You can also contact your legislators and the governor um, just uh, individually and use those same talking points. Those are really important to highlight in this uh, in this fight for public workers and their retirement dignity. So um, I guess to wrap things up, Tom, Tom you want to uh, close things out with any final words or thoughts about just this predicament that we're in and that uh, that obviously uh, organized labor is not going to stand by and let happen. And uh, I know folks are in the in the fight and, uh, you know, the fight of this already. But just any final words for listeners. This is a defining moment for the Oregon Union movement, both public and private. We're all in this. We have to send a clear message to every single elected official that you cannot prom make promises prior to Election Day that you turn right around and rescind them 
when it's convenient, when it's easy, when you can cave to the corporate community that wasn't with you to begin with. We need to stand together. We will be counting. We know who our friends will be, and they will stand with us. And those who don't, there will be ramifications for that. Great. Well, you've been listening to the Voice of Oregon's Workers, again, the monthly podcast of Oregon's union movement. If you've liked what you've heard, please share with your friends, family, and fellow union members. Uh, Thanks again, Tom, for being with us today, and we'll catch you next month.